This week on It Starts With Attraction. I think what's helpful is to have the conversations at home. Since I'm self-preserving, for instance, and my husband's social, we have the conversations often about balancing. And I've created a planner that couples can use for all the weeks of the year. And each week, there's a way to talk it through with your partner how you're balancing your instincts. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. I'm here with Krista Hardin, and I love this lady. I was on her podcast a couple of weeks ago. We had a great conversation and was thrilled to be able to invite her on to talk about what she does best, which is Enneagram and marriage. Krista, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. I just love your work. It's such an honor to be here. You're awesome. You are fantastic. Okay. So first question, can you tell us an overview of what the Enneagram is, how it works, and just a brief snippet of each of the numbers. Yes. So I'm so excited that your listeners can learn a little bit more about such a great personality test. I tested so many different people using a variety of assessments over the last 15 years. And five years ago, when I came upon the Enneagram, it really took the place of all of those batteries. And the coolest mm. part about it is you can take the test for free online. And you can also just even go to my website, enneagramandmarriage.com, and you can find out traits of each of the nine types that I'm going to go over in a minute. But basically, it's a personality typing system that designates people by numbers so that there's not names necessarily to go with that. And it, it also mm. takes away from like, Maybe you say I'm a helper. Well, any type can be a helper. But if Mm. you're like, I'm a one, then there's less attached to that in terms of making you feel like you're inside of a box. So I guess the last thing before I go through the nine types that I want to say is the Enneagram helps people to come out of a box of personality types. And it Mm. helps them to try to um, understand themselves and their gifts, but also not be limited like they probably were before they really studied it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's a great, I've never heard anyone say it that way, but that's such a beautiful way to, to talk about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because we just, we do get stuck, but we, and we don't want to abandon our gifts, but we really mm-hmm. want to make sure that we take the best and leave the worst behind and take on the best traits of the other. So hopefully by the end, you're like, yeah, I relate to the type two, but I also have some three and some four and some five. So um, if it's okay with you, I will go through the nine Absolutely. types. Absolutely. Please do. Okay, so the type one is somebody who typically has the deep core wound of feeling like they might not be good enough sometimes Mm -hmm. and just really struggling like if they're bad or good all the time, kind of a black and white thinker, and they Mm -hmm. can be perfectionistic on their spouse or others to a very harsh degree. And you can tell if you're one by if you have a really strong inner critic that's kind of yelling at you or talking about you. And, And sometimes spouses don't know in marriage that the one is harder on themselves even than 
and their spouse. But they also tend to be five senses people who tend to really relate with their environments and get sensitive from loud noises or things done wrong if they see engineering road plans. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a person who has a vision for what could be in the world. Um Yeah. And our type twos are people who love to give and to serve. And they often, their core issue is, do I have worth if I'm not giving? So -hmm. they can burn out and wear down on that. And they can struggle with the pride of overgiving. And in marriage, their spouse can feel like, you don't even love me as well as you could or yourself, um, particularly yourself. And so you're burning out and I'm afraid for you to overhelp and Mm -hmm. identify your worth there. Uh, Maybe even dragging their spouse along. And then the type three is such a hard worker and they love to achieve and perform and do so with such beauty and gusto in the world. But sometimes their spouse can feel like when they come home, they're not sharing that way and they're exhausted and they just literally become depleted in a different person at home. And they can put on a chameleon mask for others because they're like, I find my worth through giving, but it can feel exhausting to them and others if they don't know themselves or if they don't reuptake and also be gentle with their spouses. But they also make a great truth tellers because like type twos, they're also heart people. So they're very in touch with others' emotions. But it's just important for threes to really take time and feelings themselves. Mm-hmm. And what is their core wound? Their core wound is feeling like they have to achieve in order to find worth. So if I'm not serving the world in these particular ways, often with yeah. money, um, but could be with fame or with just doing good, and sometimes they can be a p- bit perfectionistic too, then do I have any worth? And so that's a hard place that they have to work out in their marriages sometimes and learn from their spouse. You do have worth. I love you outside of what you do. Yeah. That is so me. Okay, keep going. Oh, yes. Okay, I love threes. Okay, so type four is our romantic individualist kind of person who really enjoys going into contemplative spaces with themselves and others. And they are okay with that dark night of the soul because they're very familiar with it. And they can walk with people through their painful moments in just these beautiful hushed ways. But sometimes when it comes to being active and coming out of that space, it's harder because they tend to live in lament perhaps more of an Eeyore personality. And a lot of people who want to um, get married to this kind of person or the person who is this for, um, they love that about the depths that they go to, but they also need practicality and to put legs on the commitments and loving people through the boredom and the doldrums and not just staying in reveries or fantasies all day. So Mm -hmm. that's important for anyone with a four or who is a four is to know we love your beautiful artfulness and ways of bringing creativity and beauty to the world and the ways of going deep. But we also have to just have normal life too. And that's okay. And that's healthy. Mm. Um, The type five is somebody who really is good at investigating the Sherlock Holmes of the Enneagram, basically. So we (laughs) have our major authors. I love Tolkien and Jane Austen and just people who take a lot of deep research on any one topic and kind of fandom or go all out into actual research in the world like an Einstein. Mm. Um, But this personality can be so in their heads um, that they are worried that A, they'll never have enough information and that 
that's kind of their core wound um, is just, do I have enough? Am I enough? And, and I didn't say that about the four, but the four can wonder, am I enough? And that's why they spend all that time in contemplation. The five mm-hmm. can say, will I ever know enough? And so mm-hmm. that's their lingering question. And it exhausts them and burns them out to carry all this information. And they typically feel like the least energy of most of the Enneagram types because they're like, I don't have much to give. I have deep fear that I might disintegrate if I give any more. And their spouse is like, where are you? You're always in that box. You're always in the research. You're a total introvert. So they have to learn how to balance and focus um, mm-hmm. on on relationships and believe that relationships have synergy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's our first thinking type here. Now our six is our next type and they are really good at being able to be loyal and friends to people. And they're really good at troubleshooting and even being skeptical of systems that are made quickly or that don't work. I know that Dave Ramsey once said on a podcast, he's like, I'm an eight, I'm a challenger. And we'll talk about them in a minute. But he said, I had to have some sixes on my team to troubleshoot before we could make any money. So that person may be sort of a doomsdayer or doomsayer, but they're really somebody who is planning for emergency because they're like, Mm -hmm. the other shoe has dropped and I'm to be okay. But sometimes Mm -hmm. their concern is, do I feel safe um, because I need to ask others what to do? And so in marriage, it can be Mm -hmm. hard if you have a six who's always looking for outside authority to tell them what to do or a parent. Um, And it's like, hey, lean into me, lean into yourself and your own wisdom a little more, lean into God. And they're kind of looking for outside references to find security. Mm -hmm. So that's our second thinking type. Hmm. We have three more types to cover. We're almost there. The type seven is our joyful enthusiast. And they also love thinking as like fives, very systemically. And they love innovating as well. Uh, But they're a bit more aggressive and assertive out in the world because they believe nobody will be with them or there for them in their pain. And so they don't often Mm -hmm. let their spouses in. They can say, you lost trust with me a long time ago. They might not even say that. And their spouse sees this joyful, happy person bouncing from things to thing. But what they don't realize is sometimes sevens with all their enthusiasm have this deep distrust of people and only want to rely on themselves. So they have that core wound of nobody will take care of me. So I have to hold all these plates in the air and they can get very scattered. Um, Yeah. So type eight is our challenger that I mentioned. Dave Ramsey could fit into this category and a lot of other leaders out there who are bold and assertive, sometimes aggressive. They prefer the word passionate usually. And (laughs) eights really like to take charge of the environment in a protective way where they're helping people, but they're also making sure that they're never vulnerable because their belief that's a wound for them is if I'm vulnerable, that's not good. I've been hurt there and I will not let myself go there again. But of course, in relationships, you need vulnerability, not only trust like our thinking types, but now we're talking about this person who is instinctually based, who needs to be able to say, um, I can let down my guard, I can let feelings in, and I can um, also not be at the top all the time. I can share the floor. And then Mm -hmm. last but not least, we have our type nines who are known as peacemakers, but when they're super, super healthy, they actually start to become, instead of sleepy, dreamy people who put other first, they still come at people with a lot of love, but they also start to realize that their worst fear is not true, that they, that they'll never be heard, that their voice isn't important. And they start to realize they're important too, and that their voice matters and that they have so much power that they can even be a revolutionary. So in their marriage, their spouse is like, oh my gosh, like 
you do care sometimes and you are awake and you don't just say that's mm-hmm. fine to everything as a peacemaker or a peacekeeper. You're actually involved and step into conflict occasionally. So um, when they can do that, they usually find a beautiful space to assert. And it's like, wow, how impressive and beautiful and awake. So those are the nine types. Thank you for listening. Oh my goodness. As you were rattling them off, I just thought she knows her stuff. And you present Enneagram in such a different way than than I've than I've heard some other people do it. It's a very um, uplifting. All of them have great points. You know, all of them have great characteristics and traits that that go to each person. So. Before we, before we move on, I know this was true of me and maybe some of the listeners in our audience as well. When you're new to Enneagram and you're hearing these numbers and wings and triads <laughs> and all the things, it can sound very weird, new agey, <laughs> yes. maybe a little bit. And right. so what are some common misconceptions that people have when it comes to like, especially Christians who might be thinking, is this even okay? Like, can we even do the Enneagram? Right. And I love that people are wanting to make sure they do things that are good and right. And I think that's Mm -hmm. even going to rub up against some of these um, instinctual types a bit more, ones, eights, and nines. Um, But even those sixes who are questioning. So whatever your type is, or you think your type might be, it's okay to question, first of all. And it's okay if you resist the label. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think why we're as I was saying at the beginning, why I kind of really like Enneagram, even though I'm a person of faith, I'm a Christian, is all of the tests that I learned in those psychological batteries were made from an entirely atheistic perspective. And so Mm -hmm. those were not made necessarily by anybody who was really doing um, spiritual work. And with Enneagram, it sounds spiritual because it is spiritual um, in this way, that um, anyone from any religion can learn from it, I hope, just like any of Mm -hmm. the other psychological batteries. But if you were to look Mm -hmm. at the Enneagram as usually a diagram of a circular picture with each of the nine types, there's a space at the bottom. And it's just the way somebody wrote it out many generations ago um, in ancient geometry. But what's interesting about it is there's an open space because where we fall off and just can never do our work perfectly, that's where God enters the story. And so Mm -hmm. at the end of each of the types, you heard me speaking about them in a hopeful way because there's grace right? Like we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to fully let go of maybe some of our issues here on this earth, but there's still hope and grace for us. And that's where God comes in. That's why I like this test even a bit more than some of the purely atheistic tools. Yeah, that's really good. So are there ideal Enneagram combinations within a relationship? Actually, every single type pairing has its own strengths. And I've created pairing guides for each of the types for that reason, because I think that one of the misconceptions of Enneagram is, oh my gosh, like I just found out that this is a great pairing and that mine isn't. Or Mm -hmm. I was looking at the grass is greener on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I realized I got to read Krista's pairing guide on how the two and the nine work together and we're a three and the nine and I'm sad. And so I think we have to just like with any marriage or friend that we peek into, to realize that each one comes with their particular issues and each one comes with a very particular set of strengths too. Right. So how do you keep people focused kind of on that? Focused on the, listen, the grass may look greener on the other side, but let's focus on what we can do with both of your strengths and ways to work together. How do you keep them focused on that? 
Well, what you can do is if you're a researcher and you like looking into things, if you ever just need a little help with this area, you could go to EnneagramInstitute.com. They have a Mm -hmm. wonderful website that shows you each of the types at their best and each of them at their very worst. And I have that in marriage. I created booklets for every one of the types at EnneagramInMarriage.com where I have deep dive guides on every type. And you could literally Mm -hmm. see oh my gosh, every single one of these types looks so bad at their worst. And so just not to be rude, but if you thought that this type eight or the type six was perfect, take a minute at Enneagram Institute and look at how crazy each type can get at their worst. And you're going to see, I'm good with what I've got. I'm good. I'm good. There's (laughs) gratitude in in the mundane. There's gratitude where, where I already am. Yeah, yes. that's really helpful. So when yeah. when people come to you when they're looking at the, do you call them pairing guides? What is it you call yes. them? Yes, I call them glow guides because we shine glow. out differently in the world. So they're glowing in their beautiful awesome. ways together. That's awesome. So what are the what are the reasons people are typically coming to you to get more information about the Enneagram? Are they having communication issues or are they just curious and wanting to know more? Usually they come in a stage I call the shadow stage. I delineate the stages through the lens of the glow theory that I created with my Enneagram work. And it was just a way that I could help couples to see this honeymoon, early, shiny phase of a relationship Mm. is not the only one. Because at first we're Mm. so excited, like, oh, I'm with somebody who's a helper or a troubleshooter. I love what they bring to me. Mm. And then we get into some healing together, that second stage where we say, uh, you know what, not only do I love the fun and the cool things you bring to me, but I've even noticed some healing taking place. But the next stage we get into, and this is just every couple to some Mm -hmm. degree, some more than others, depending on our trauma and circumstances, we get into, and maturity, we get into the shadow levels where we're like, ah, like I'm kind of tired. Like I'm looking at the grass is greener on the other side. I don't want this kind of crazy anymore. And we're forgetting also that our partners have lifted us up and even healed us. And we're like, I'm who I am apart from you. And we put it ourselves in a vacuum instead of realizing that mm-hmm. our shadow also has fallen on them. So mm-hmm. um, some couples will head into the next shadow called darkness. And this is where between shadows and darkness is where people reach out to me. And that's like the light is burnt out. Our candle is not glowing together. Um, and I try to help them to move through immersion and mm-hmm. afterglow stages so that they can truly find healing, heal attachment wounds, figure out where they can shine together still figure out what their shadows are together, mourn that, do some work and head on out. Wow. So how does attachment, how do attachment styles affect Enneagram? Uh, It really depends on the person who is, you know, in the withdrawing attachment, for instance, are usually fives, nines, fours. And that would, you know, make people want to just disappear a little bit when the trouble comes. And Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, that's what we know about attachment styles already. And then we know some of the types are more assertive and aggressive. And those would be five, uh, excuse me, three, sevens and eights. Um, And you don't have to know all the types here, but I just want you guys to know when we see this, it's like, oh, this is a fight or flight response. This is what we do when we're feeling uh, threatened in the world. And some of us are going to be more aggressive. Some of us are going to be more compliant and some of us are going to withdraw totally. So we try to look at each of those. And I think a really good analysis for when this happens to any of our listeners in their marriages is if you're finding yourself adopting to just one of those to be able to say, let me try to balance out what I'm doing better so that I'm not just 
using my head, not just my heart, not just my instincts, but all. And then here it would be, I'm not just assertive. I'm not just able to know when it's time to withdraw. And I'm not just compliant, willing to get along only, but I've learned how to do all of those things in turn. And when we can really adopt a lot of different strategies for coping, our partners feel safer because they're like, you're not locked down in a box and you're not doing this one move that isn't working or serving us, but you're learning balance. So that's been really helpful for the couples I've worked with who are in shadow is just to learn some different movements and some balance. Hmm. Can you give an example of a story of a couple you've worked with that's gone through something like this? Absolutely. So a couple that is a type, let's say eight and nine, could start out as a peacemaker for the nine, this really gentle soul who will kind of sleep to their own needs, um, withdrawing. And then an eight who is aggressive, assertive. That was the Dave Ramsey kind of personality I said, knows what they want, willing to go after it. When you work with that pairing in particular, it's a very common pairing, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen, uh, I've done an 88,000 person study with Trudy.com, and they really did a great job of delineating like certain pairings that are more common in the world since this test hmm. is getting really popular. Oh, and um, yeah. So basically what happens in this marriage pairing that I've seen a lot of is that the nine starts to disappear and the eight stops losing. They stop respecting them because they're like, I expected you to come to the table with something. And then mm-hmm. the nine's like, well, I'm going to go back to my issue that you never want to be vulnerable. And remember I said that was the core issue of eight. And then yeah. I also don't feel heard by you. So once you can get them each to see their core issue, whatever the couple pairing is, it just helps them because most of the time in marriage, we see our spouse's issue so much more than our own. And we follow that fundamental attribution error to think that we're personally above average and deserving of the gray and empathy. And we're like, my spouse is a black and white villain. (laughs) And so this just helps to even the playing field and to say like, oh, I am bringing this issue in. Let's look at ourselves and our partners with more curiosity and compassion and some kind of deep breaths right there. And when this couple does that, to see a nine getting assertive and speaking their mind, the eight loves it. And they're just so like, wow, this is arousing for me in a healthy way to know that you care and that you're here. And then when the nine sees the eight gently kind of peeling back, taking a nice deep breath instead of being so overly assertive, they're like, oh my gosh, like you're not going to blow my head off just for having a different opinion. You actually are learning to respect me and to listen to me and to hear my voice too. So these uh, these ways of moving are new for them and it takes time, but it offers hope when they can see it wasn't just my spouse that was the problem. We're both contributing. Mm, that's awesome. That's very powerful. What are some of the other common combinations? I would say that another very common combination is two and five. Uh, This was the pairing that inspired my glow guides because I noticed that twos, which are such helpers and givers, are frequently paired with that researcher, Sherlock Holmes Five, who's always behind the scenes. And I'm like, that's an odd pairing, you know, the most biggest giver with the least. And then I started to realize that the twos were rubbing off on the fives and, and that the fives were already givers. They just preferred to do that from like this quiet behind the scenes way. And 
the fives were also rubbing off on the twos. And I was like, oh my gosh, the twos that have been with fives for many years, they are staying at home more, resting more, reading more, getting more self-care. And it was just this beautiful dance. Now, I'm not going to say that pairing's without its struggles because the two is going to want more and the five is going to want a little less sometimes. But the five is truly enamored with the two's healthy emoting. And then the two is just like my five is strong and I let them lead me and they tell me what we're going to buy at the store because fives are usually like, I like to be the one in charge of the financials. So Mm. the two is more of a traditional helper and it's a nice pairing. But when they can start learning each other's love styles, it just lends so much to, okay, your five doesn't hate you, but they are tired of you helping everybody and you're never at home. And then the two is like, Mm. oh, really? They want to be with me? And Mm. then sometimes the two will even ask the five, like, if you can't be with me all the time because you're researching or you're afraid you're going to run out of energy, they say, can you leave me like a Voxer or a voicemail that tells me how much you love me so I can continue Mm. to listen to that even when you're not here? So isn't that interesting how the different pairings show up and heal? Yeah, it really is. Well, and it's also interesting how... and. It's also interesting how really people sometimes just need to know they have permission to do certain things. Like Mm -hmm. I can ask for my spouse to leave me a voice message to tell me how much I mean to them. Like that's okay. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you for having needs. And your pairing is quite common too. The three, eight, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know how common it is. I just know it's what I have. Yeah. I've seen it a lot. It's a nice pairing. It's a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. I know. When when I was on your podcast, I'm pretty sure you said it was the, what is the, what's the symbol that you use for it on the glow guide? I use a rocket launching. launching. (laughs) Unstoppable, I call it. Unstoppable. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much so. I actually need to get that glow guide. I meant to do it after my podcast with you and then totally forgot. Actually, I went to the Truity thing and took the test again. And um, still, I'm on the 3-8 line. I'm pretty sure my husband's on the 3-8 line. So Fascinating. Wow. I love that website for taking the test too. And there's a free test there at truity.com. But I love that you're looking into this to just make sure because sometimes a test isn't enough, but it's helpful to look at it. I love that you did that. You gave it a good look and you guys are so similar. So these two assertive types, you can go so far, you can launch so far in the world, but if you're not careful, you can burn out like any of the other Mm -hmm. pairings in your own way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How do you, well, no, let me ask this first. So we were talking before we started the podcast and you mentioned this this the collective. Tell us more about that. What does that mean? Sure. So I really like to also work with couples on their instincts. And that's typically part of Enneagram work when you work with an Enneagram coach or counselor. That just means basically, instead of just working from our nine types, sometimes we work from a self-preserving instinct or a social dominant instinct or a sexual dominant instinct. And you can kind of just from the names already tell right there, like what they mean. Mm -hmm. But often I notice that we come from families with similar underpinnings 
feelings and instincts. And then we typically marry spouses who have different instincts. And so it's like, we're almost saying, can we finish the work we started with this generation? And even maybe generations of people, for instance, who are self-preserving because they had been through a famine and they had learned we have to care for ourselves. Mm. And then coming against a person who's coming from the social place, like we were enslaved and we knew that being together socially would get us through. Mm. Um, And then a different spouse um, in a different marriage, of course, because now we're adding a third person, (laughs) they could be um, like more sexually in in, um, just feeling safe in that one-to-one or intimate or sexual realm where they say, Mm. uh, you know, I felt safest when I felt cared for on the one-to-one level. Mm. Uh, Maybe there was even a lot of times abuse in the past. So I have to be in charge. I have to be the dominant one because I'll never let myself be be vulnerable again. Mm. So sometimes I just take couples, whether they're doing Enneagram work or not, through those three instincts. And we just work there. Mm. And what I've learned is that when you take care of yourself with self-preserving and then you learn to take care of your marriage with the one-to-one connection and the beautiful work you're doing at Marriage Helper, then what you can do is you can give out of your beautiful glow together that much better and brighter into the collective. And right now in the culture, we Hmm. have a war going. It's like you guys can just aim your gifts in such a beautiful way when you're reuptaking individually. And as a couple, that gift you bring to the collective is so much better when you're healthy at home. Mm -hmm. I underline, highlight, exclamation point that, agree 100%. Awesome. How are you assessing where, which instinct they're coming from? It's really personal to people. But one thing I personally have in my team of 21 people that I have been certifying as Enneagram and Marriage coaches, we use worksheets that we've really tried to ask the pointed questions about Mm -hmm. the different instincts, because I think that you can take a test and there is a test Mm -hmm. that you can take at katherinefavor.com. And if you want the link for that, I can give you that. She has your type, she has your secondary type, your third type, and your leading instinctual sequence. Uh, the order in which you usually follow your instincts. But just like we said with how cool it is that Kimberly is taking this step back to make sure her personality type is right, um, Mm -hmm. I think it's also helpful to do that with the instincts to kind of listen which one of those really seems like I operate from that and then start having conversations with your spouse around it. Of course, you can use our tools, but I think what's helpful is to have the conversations at home since I'm self-preserving, for instance, and my husband's social, we have the conversations often about balancing. And I've created a planner Mm -hmm. that couples can use for all the weeks of the year. And each week, there's a way to talk it through with your partner, how you're balancing your instincts. So Wes and I have been going through it January and February and Mm -hmm. some of March. And it's been fun to just kind of balance together. He's Mm. like, oh, I forgot to work out because I was busy socially. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm just I'm so burnt out that I don't know if I can give more socially. So it's helping each of us to look at that instinct along with the one our spouse likes and then the sexual instinct, too, to make sure that we're coming at things more balanced versus just, like I said, so harnessed to only one style of moving through the world. Mm hmm. Like what you what you were primed for, or what you're more likely to navigate towards. Yes, exactly. And obviously that was for good reason because your defense mechanisms are in place for good reason. But it's yeah. just nice to be able to say, you know what? I, we've created some safety here. And I think if we baby step out a bit, I could be a bit more social if we thought of healthy ways. Or I could be a bit more 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to take care of our self-preserving needs. I'm going to save money. I'm going to um, – some people, as you know, in middle marriage are like, I've written sex off altogether. Yeah. Maybe we're going to go see a urologist. Maybe we're going to look at our hormones. Mm. Like inviting these things back in that we once wrote off as dangerous and allowing mm. ourselves to reapproach balance together. Fascinating. Okay, so the three of them, again, they're sexual, social, and self-preserving self-preserving <laughs> that I one's first because that. that one's my favorite no i'm just <laughs> <laughs> right no I but seriously it. yeah my grandma always told me stories she was in the depression she's like oh my gosh my neighbors wouldn't share food with us like we were just starving from croatian immigrants and these stories oh, are passed down generation to generation and then my husband's like oh my gosh i'm from the people of appalachia like we found our strength in groups so it's fascinating huh. to try to like not be mean to each other once you figure out what your triggers are, but to just, okay, that makes mm. sense, you know? Well, and even in thinking about the sexual one, you and I both coming from a Christian background in in the church, it can easily be talked about, sexuality can be talked about in a bad way because it's don't do it, don't do it, don't do it until you yeah. get married. And right. so there's kind of that, I'm just wondering how that can even affect like once you get married. Mm. You have to kind of shift what you think about sex and allowing yourself to follow urges as opposed to trying to stop yourself. So how does that even affect? Whereas if you're married to someone who had a different upbringing or background where maybe sex was celebrated more and it was, um, you know, not in an inappropriate way, but just in a, they had parents that were more open about talking to them about sex and things that can even cause. Yes. Yeah. That's huge. Differences. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a client like that today and she said, I'm not from the US. I didn't really walk through the negative parts of purity culture, but hmm. you know, a lot of people do, depending on what country, culture, time you're from. So it's nice that you're reminding people, you know, it's okay to have sexual urges. And yeah, hmm. that's part of the process sometimes when we do coaching is to be okay with that and to figure out hmm. how we can get safer with that. Hmm. I love that. So overall, in the work that that you're doing, the great work you're doing with Enneagram and marriage, you're not only helping the person best understand themselves and their and their partner, their spouse in the marriage, but you're also helping them understand how they can balance how they show up in the marriage and in community to be their best self. Absolutely. And then they can just give with such aim. And it's just a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing to watch them serving others. That's just where people go. They're like, if we're good and I'm good, like, how can we give out to others? So that's my goal is to help people Hmm. to find that space of giving together after they've balanced at home. That's great. So Krista, what does it look like for a, an individual or a couple to work with you? Kind of what is the journey you take them on? Tell us more about that process. So it's going to be a little different for every couple because sometimes couples um, obviously come in at different spaces within that glow cycle that I was mm-hmm. explaining, how we can come in sometimes as a premarital and we just want some preventative care. A lot of times, of course, people come to me like in the dregs of despair. So they're right. like, I hate this person. And sure. so what I usually try to do is to get to know them, their gifts, their spouse's gifts. And I try to help them to understand why their spouse 
spouse might be operating out of these spaces of defensiveness. Instead of just saying people are defensive, I really try to dig and to build compassion. And then at the same time, I'm trying to build what's going on with them so that they also see, okay, I didn't just marry this person with trauma, but I maybe even have some of my own wounds that I brought in. And so whether they're doing this work together with me as a couple or just one person, I'm always thinking of that other person. And that just like you, probably the marriage is the client so that we're honoring everybody, whether they're there or not. I'm also trying to honor the people who have come before them because I know how important tribe is and how we don't want to let go of uh, the mm-hmm. others in our lives who are doing their best. So sometimes we look back and we we mourn what was not there for them. And we also mm-hmm. celebrate what gifts they did get from family of origin. And, and then we can move on together with more self-care and more compassion. And then, of course, marriage tips so that they can get some specific conflict resolving tips as well. That's fantastic. So you have your glow guides, you have other ways for people to get involved and started with you on your website, but share with our listeners where they can find you. Where do they find the glow guides, your podcast, all the, all the good and fun Enneagram things. Thank you so much. They can visit enneagramandmarriage.com or you can go to Apple Podcast and you can listen there or Spotify under the podcast name Enneagram and Marriage. And there you will find, like you said, the glow guides, the podcasts, and also have a bunch of freebies at enneagramandmarriage.com if you want to get started on working out your your solutions and figuring out your type. It's Mm -hmm. all there for you. Mm, well, my audience loves freebies, <laughs> yay! just as I do. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll be sure to link to all of those things. And then uh, on your website is also where the listeners can find that free Enneagram test that you link to that goes to Truity, right? That's the name of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So all of that, we will link in the show notes for people to find and to get yes. in touch. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. I really appreciate you having me. Oh, Krista, you are fantastic. I love speaking with you. I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Totally aligned and loving what you do. You too. I'm so excited for my audience to hear you too. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Here are my key takeaways from this episode with Krista Harden. It was such a good episode, and she is a wealth of knowledge about the Enneagram. I love how she approaches it. My first key takeaway is it is important to understand ourselves. Enneagram is a way to do that, and I highly recommend that you go to Truity and use that free assessment that Krista talked about. So that'll be linked in the show notes. It's free, so you might as well go and do it. And just remember, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. It's a free assessment. It's not going to be the live and die by what it says. Like I said, I've taken the Enneagram several times and I'm a three or an eight. I think there's aspects of me that's both. I'm more comfortable with understanding my disc profile, but all in all, all of these are tools that we can use to help understand ourselves better because it helps us understand how we can show up better in our relationships. That is the key. It's not just learning more about me to know about me. It's learning more about me so that I can understand how to have better relationships because life is about relationships. When we can understand our ups and our downs and the things that others may perceive about us that we don't intend, then it helps us to evoke more emotional attraction in others. The second takeaway I have is every pairing has its strengths. I love that this is Krista's view because it is so hopeful and hope-filled and positive. 
every pairing, every couple, no matter how different or similar you are, you have strengths together. And then my third takeaway is this mindset of you are who you are today because your spouse has helped to lift you up and form you into that. So think about the answer to this question. How has your spouse or how has your best friend or your kids, someone in your life, how have they lifted you up and helped form you into who you are today? This is such a great question because it can take a situation that we may think we're drained by, that we're constantly giving to our kids and they're taking from us and they're trying our patience, right? And we hardly ever take a step back and think, but how have my kids actually helped me be who I am today? What are the positive things that they have done for me? And same with our spouse. How has my spouse lifted me up? How have they helped me form these great areas of myself and my personality and the way that I show up in the world? How can I thank them for helping me do that? Those are powerful questions. I encourage you to take some time to think about those. Until next week, stay strong.